Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves by studying His Word in order to lead us to a personal transformational relationship with God. This podcast series called Philippians, How to Have Joy, was recorded from September to October of 2021, a sermon series by Preset Ministries National Director Mark Sheldrake to a local Ontario church. Now let us listen to Mark's message as he takes us into the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians where through scripture we can discover how to have joy. All right, so it's an opportunity here for you to uh, muse with me for a moment, ponderings or deep thoughts with Mark Sheldrake yet again. Um, Yesterday, I was uh, running... Uh, yes, I do that for fun. So I was out running, and uh, I decided to run this new trail that I haven't run in a really long time, partly because I think I was recovering from a stress fracture in my leg, and I want to run on some dirt, something that wasn't as painful as running on the pavement. So I was riding this, uh, running on this trail, and I'm coming around the corner, and I see a baseball diamond. And at this baseball diamond, you're not going to believe what happened to me, but I actually went into this moment back until I was like in grade seven or eight and started to remember an event that took place at that baseball diamond. It is the weirdest thing to know that my brain can look at this baseball diamond and begin to reminisce about an event that happened way back when I was probably in grade seven or eight. You want to know what the event was? No, it's not really that important. This guy, my baseball coach, all right, my baseball coach uh, told me that I wasn't allowed to wear jewelry when you are playing baseball. So this is back when I was younger. Now, what, it, what does every kid want to do? They want to emulate their favorite baseball stars, right? What do the baseball stars do in the major leagues. They wear all kinds of jewelry, right? So when they're doing their home run trot, that necklace is popping around. (laughs) That was me. I was trying to be, like, my favorite player was Tony Fernandez. And so I want to be the shortstop like Tony Fernandez, and Tony had chains. So I wore a chain to, to the game, and my coach said, you can't wear that chain. You have to remove it. And I never saw that chain again. So yesterday I was running that trail, I, I, I was like, did, that, did my baseball coach steal that from me? Did I not get that back? And I just couldn't understand how that little event could trigger that thought in my mind right back then. And, and I was like, maybe I can look him up in the phone book. Young people, phone books are those books <laughs> that have all the names in them, and you look at Anyway, all right, so yeah, I thought, could I, could I get that back? I mean, we're talking something number of years, way above 20 years ago, that this happened. But it brought me to a point where my response to what I was thinking about uh, made me think a number of different things. Like, was that stolen from me? Did, did I just forget to pick it up? Was that chain even mine? Was it my dad's that I had used? I can't remember any of that stuff. And so just as I continue on, I began to think a little bit more even this morning about how the, how the human brain works, how, how we can constantly be brought back to these different types of memories. And these memories, they bring about different things in our mind. They can bring things like joy. They can bring things like hurt and pain, sadness, anger, disgust, all of these things that can happen when we begin to reflect back on what happens in our lives. This, this was not so great of a joyful moment, but at the same time as I was driving here this morning, I was thinking about how we look backwards on memories, and the immediate thing that came to me was the joy of when I was in high school and I was talking with my friends, and we would reminisce about some things that happened in the past, and we would do that by a little thing that would happen with a, t- with a movie called Wayne's World. All right, so in high school, when I looked back and I started to remember, I started to do this little thing when it brought about memories. 
That's what Wayne and Garth did when they wanted to go back in time and figure out what's going on. So the brain is just kind of blowing my mind this week in the things that I can bring back. You see, in Philippians, where we're headed, this is what Paul is going to do. All right, Paul is going to be in prison and he is going to look back. And he is going to look back. And we're going to see it, what he looks at when he looks back, and we're going to see his response to that. So turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1 today, and, and we're going to just get a sense of what Paul is writing here. All right, so be careful to not ever just glance over an introduction within the letter that Paul has written. There's so much in these introductions that we don't want to miss. All right, follow along with me. And I want to I start by just reading all 11 verses so we can pick up tone of the letter. And then we'll come back, address tone for a minute. And then we'll get into the nitty-gritty. All right, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you, all in the view of participation in the gospel from the first days until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment Because I have you in my heart since both my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray that your love may may abound still more in the real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to glory and praise of God. So the tone of this letter to start, okay, there's a lot of great words in here that help us to to, um, help see the tone. There's thanksgiving, always offering prayer with joy, uh, how you participate in the gospel, uh, the word love, and I have you in my heart. These words all bring about the tone of this letter. All right, the tone of this letter is the exact opposite of many of other Paul's letters. Uh, The letter to the Corinthians he says, we're, you know, we're partners in the gospel, but you have fighting among you that I need you to deal with. In the book of Galatians, which would be the most drastic change between the two, uh, in the book of Galatians, Paul looks to the church and he says, who has bewitched you? Like, are you crazy to fall for the things that are going on? They're confrontational in that they are addressing problems within the church. Uh, The church in Corinth, many problems going on in that church. Uh, In Galatians, being drawn back into the law. But here, Paul, in this letter, you will get a real sense through the tone as you go all the way through that he loves this church. There's something about this church that he has such a great, deep love for them that is unlike some of the other churches. It doesn't mean he doesn't love those churches, but this church he loves. And that sets the tone for this whole letter because Paul is now, remember, he is in prison at this time when he is writing this. He's in prison and he is thinking back on what 
was going on. Now follow with me, okay? Let's, let's start at verse one and, and work our way through. Uh, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons. All right, first and foremost, if you don't know what a bond servant in, a bond servant is one who is bound to service without pay. So that is what a bond servant is. It's one who has given their life over for service, but but is not receiving pay for that. And he's writing to this church at Philippi. Now, Philippi, I, I had planned maybe to give you a map, but I wasn't sure how well it was going to show. But Philippi was on a trade route. All right, so it was on a trade route. It's up sort of in the northern aspects of you know, the land of just outside of you know, Judah's down here and, and Philippi's up here. And so Paul, on his missionary journeys, he was making his way through and he came to Philippi, which we'll look at in a minute. But this was a place where it was filled with all kinds of different idol worship. They actually called Philippi the place or the center of worship for that area because there was so many different people coming in through this trade route and introducing different types of worship in this time. But it was a very uh, strong and rich place, uh, an important stop on every trade route that was going. All right, so Philippi is this place that Paul uh, had gone to. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse three. I thank my God in all, what? What's the word? What? What's that? You got, you got to participate with me. Remembrance, all right? When I remember you, I thank my God. Uh, why? I'm always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all in the view of your participation in the gospel uh, from the first day until now. Do you see it? He's thanking God as he remembers. All right, just like when, when I was running that trail and that, and that thing popped up for me about the baseball diamond, here he is in prison and he's sitting there and he's been in prison for a while and he's there for the purpose of the gospel and what is he doing with his time there? He is praying to God for the churches but when he comes to the church of Philippi, maybe it was on his list for that day but he remembers the church at Philippi and he goes, oh my goodness, do you remember when I went there? How great of an opportunity that was for the furtherance of the gospel. I remember you from the first day that, that I went there and all the way through until now in your participation in the gospel. You see, what we'll see as we continue to unpack this letter, but way, way back in chapter four, is that this church not only helped fund Paul's ministry, giving him money and paying for what he was doing and giving him gifts so that he could continue on in ministry and focus on that, but he also saw this church was growing in ways that it had never seen before. So what I want to do today is I actually want to take us back in time. All right, I want to go into the DeLorean. I want to turn the dials back to the future, young people. All right, so I want to go back in time, and I want to see what it was like for when Paul first came to this church. All right, so let's turn to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to look at uh, this um, time in which Paul first visited. Because if you see the text, it tells us in verse 5, in view of your participation of the gospel from the first day. All right, so he's remembering back to what happened in that time when Paul first went there. All right, so Paul first goes to Philippi on his second missionary journey. All right, so the second missionary journey, I'll give you the, if you ever want to look and trace his way, it starts at Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and his second journey ends at Acts chapter 18, verse 22. So we are going to pick up in Acts chapter 16 
at verse 12. All right, so we'll, we'll go back to verse 11 for the purposes of context, but he's on the ship, all right? So verse 11 tells us that, so putting out to sea from Troas, we ran straight course uh, for Samothrake. And on the day following, we went to Neapolis. Now look at verse 12. And from there, we went to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled there. All right, let's just pause there for a moment. Uh, Paul's practice in his missionary journeys is that when he went to a new location, the first thing that he would do was he would go to the synagogue. And when he got to the synagogue, he would reason in the Sabbath with those Jewish people that were there, they would reason the scriptures. Uh, some texts and acts tell us that he would spend three Sabbaths there or, or longer. So when Paul got to Philippi, here's the practice. This is my routine. I'm going to the synagogue and I'm going to reason the scriptures. The problem with Philippi is there's no synagogue. To have a place of prayer in a synagogue for the Jewish people, you need at least 10 men. And there were not 10 men together who could put together this place of prayer in this synagogue. We also see that from verse 13 because there are women who are, are assembled together for the purpose of prayer. So maybe not even 10 men are there. Okay, so this Roman colony, there's not 10 Jews there to build a synagogue, but there are women who are gathering to pray. Now look at verse 14. A woman named Lydia from the city of Tyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things by Paul. And when she had her household, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, "If you have not judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay." As she prevailed upon us. All right. So I want to look at. Uh, there's three individuals within this first trip to Philippi, and I want to break them down individually with you, and then we'll, we'll dive back into Philippians. All right, so this second missionary journey is happening around 49 to 51 AD. This is about 11 years before Philippians is written. And so when he goes to this place, he's looking for the, place, the synagogue to pray. He can't find it. But he sees these women and these people praying by the river. So what does Paul do? He walks over and he starts to gather with these people and he begins to reason the scriptures with them. The description of the text tells us that Lydia was a worshiper of God. All right, not a God, but the God. And as she is a worshiper of God, Paul begins to, you know, as he does, reason his views of the law and how justification is through faith and not by the law. And he begins to preach the gospel to these people. Now, Lydia uh, was a woman who had a business. Her business, according to this, was that it was in purple fabrics, all right? So just so you know, just so you understand, Lydia was a woman who had a lot of money. If you were dealing in purple fabrics, uh, royalty was known to wear purple. And so she would have a lot of money, and we also know that she had a fair amount of money because she had her own house. And so as Paul goes and he starts to reason the scriptures with Lydia. Look what the text says in verse 14. Lydia was listening. And the next response is the Lord opens her heart 
to respond to the gospel. Look, as she responds to the gospel, she and her household have been baptized. Right here in verses 13 and 14 are your first church members of Philippi. This is it. The, these are the ones who, who Paul is writing about 11 years later. This is the beginning of the church. This is the church plant right here. And then, because she has been so transformed by the gospel, she invites Paul and Silas to come and live in her house for a while. And so they have the opportunity to stay and continue to minister. Now, now look at this in verse 16. We have, we have the next great event that, that happens in the life in the church of Philippi. And it says, it happened as we are going to the place of prayer. All right, it's not a physical place. It's where they were gathering by the river. All right, they go to the place of prayer where they are together. And on the way, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters a much, of a, much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. All right, this, this slave girl, okay, just, just so you understand, this slave girl is on the exact opposite of the social pole. The slave girl is the poorest of the poor. She is literally bound to the service of these people, and she's most likely what we might now know as a medium, somebody who is kind of working between the spirit world and, and working towards uh, humans and bringing things together, but she is uh, enslaved by a demon. And she's bringing a great prophet to the people who are over her. So she is really at the end of the social pole, not a rich woman like Lydia, but she is a slave who is bringing much fortune to the people at that time. And as Paul is going by, listen to what this, this demon is speaking through this girl. Verse 17, following after Paul, she kept crying out, these men are the bondservants of the Most High who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. What does this girl know? Okay, first of all, she knows, one, that Paul is a servant of Jesus Christ. Two, she also knows that Paul is a servant of El Elyon. That's the Hebrew word for God Most High. You can trace El Elyon, all the way back to Genesis. All right, so he is the God most high, and he is pro she, they are proclaiming a way of salvation. So can you imagine it as Paul, he's walking on his way to prayer, and as he's walking on his way to prayer, you've got this, this demon slave girl going behind. They're preaching the gospel. They're preaching the words of the God most high. They are telling you the way of salvation, and this is just getting on Paul's nerves. They're following everywhere, and as they're getting, it's getting on Paul's nerves, he just turns around and goes, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command the Spirit to leave. Do you see it? The power of God right there? That the apostles had the power as they, they went out with the gospel, the authority that Jesus gave them, that this demon responds to, in the name of Jesus Christ, and leaves that slave girl. I mean, this is amazing. Now, always, I will tell you always, and if you remember this, every time you see the word but in the text, something different is coming, all right? This amazing event that has happened where this slave, the spirit has left the slave girl, and then verse nine says, but when her masters saw that the hope of their prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace and before the authorities. 
Uh, can you imagine this, this slave girl just living and she's, she's possessed by this demon and you know what? They like that because it's making them a lot of money. And they don't celebrate and have joy at the healing of this girl. They get angry because now their way of making money is gone. So they take Paul and Silas and they drag him into the marketplace. Verse 20 says, when they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion being Jews. (laughs) A place where multiple religions are coming together into a, a boiling pot. These Jews are the ones who are stirring it up because look what they've done. They just, they converted Lydia and her family and there's other believers that are coming to Jesus Christ but here they are, they're throwing everything into commotion. And look what it says, they're, they're bringing everything, being Jews, verse 21, they're proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to deserve, observe being Romans. They, the crowd rose up together against them. The chief magistrates tore their robes off them and then proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Why did this all happen? Why is Paul now and Silas being beaten? It's because they healed the slave girl. The demon left her. The prophet was gone. These men were angry. And because Paul was was pushing the gospel message forward, what what Jesus had called him to do, go and proclaim my name to, to the places where it had not been proclaimed before. And here he's doing that job and he's done the work. He's cast the demon out. They're angry and they start to beat him. Verse 23 says, when they had struck them with many blows, not that this was enough to beat them for the gospel, they put them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard, them, to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. All right? So three people we're going to look at. One, Lydia. Two, the slave girl. And then three, the jailer. But we don't want to stop at that, we also want to look at Paul and Silas for a minute, okay? It's because, look, the word, verse 25, the word but comes up again, all right? So there's this but they got beaten and thrown into prison for what they did, and then but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the, pray, the prisoners were listening to them. We've just got to stop here, and I want you to think back for a minute, all the way back to Philippians chapter 1. I thank God for you, praying and offering prayers of joy in remembrance of you. Remembering back. He is remembering back with joy to that time he went to Philippi, and he got beaten by rods, and he got put in prison for the gospel. That's one of the things he's remembering but he's also remembering this great event that's about to take place. See, but at midnight, Paul and Silas, they were singing hymns of praise to God and prisoners were listening to them. Uh, What do you think he was singing? Does it say uh, hymns of lament? (laughs) Hymns of crying, oh, woe is me, God. My back hurts. (laughs) I just got beaten. Oh, Lord. Maybe, maybe him and, and, and Silas were, were singing that song, Allelu, Allelu, praise ye the Lord. Remember that song from Sunday school where one group stands up while the other sits down? Do you think they were doing that with their sore backs? I, I don't know. It tells us here that they were singing praises to God. They had so much joy in what they were seeing God do amongst the Philippian people, that they were in prison. Look, their feet are in stocks so they can't go anywhere, but they are praising God. Might they be singing some of the songs, you are my refuge, you are my strength, you will rescue me, some of the, some of the things that David sang. We don't know. 
Maybe he was just singing, praise God, thank you for the opportunity to be in this position. At midnight, there suddenly came a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken immediately. All the doors and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. The worst thing for a Roman soldier to do is not fulfill their duty. It was better for a Roman soldier to kill themselves than it was to face the penalty of not fulfilling their job. The prison doors are open. The chains are gone. The earth is quaking. The prison is quaking. Paul and Silas are singing praises in the corner. And the jailer's immediate response is, I need to kill myself because of this escape. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself. We're all here. He called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he, he says, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> just, just go back just a short few verses earlier. Uh, who could hear Paul and Silas singing praises to God? Everyone. And then an earthquake comes. Doors are open, chains are broken, and the jailer is stopped from killing himself, which is his immediate thought in his circumstances. is so much despair, he wants to kill himself, but Paul says, wait, and his heart is changed, and he says, how do I become saved? Verse 31 says, they said, do one thing, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him. Uh, if you were a precept person, you would put over that, that little megaphone for the gospel. They spoke the gospel to him and together with him in their house, he took them that very hour at night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. He brought them into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Do you see what just happened in Philippi? Three, three different occasions just, just happened in the moments of this second missionary journey. One, Lydia and her whole, whole household was saved as they were praying to God and they were in the Jewish customs. They, they were freed from the law and through Jesus and his blood. The, the slave girl was freed of the demon and then the jailer in his whole household proclaimed salvation in Jesus, in Jesus to God and became saved and were baptized. This is the beginning of the building of this church. Now flip back with me to Philippians chapter one and, and see again what Paul is telling us here. He's telling us in verse three to verse five, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in the view of your participation in the gospel from when? From the first day. From the first day until now. Uh, this caused me to think this week just about this very moment. And, and if you remember those, those characters that were on the screen last week, that sometimes the responses to our circumstances, they, they're not immediately joy. Their anger, disgust, their sadness, their fear... All of those things come. Sometimes it's really hard to find joy, especially when you're in the midst of great suffering. I ask myself over and over and over again, how is it that Paul, after just being beaten in that prison, can sing and praise, worship, enjoy to God in that circumstance? Am I that strong in my knowledge of Jesus Christ that if I were beaten with rods, if I were in prison, if I were shackled, would I be praising God or would I be saying, woe is me? But here he was in that time. He was praising God. Thank you. 
for the opportunity to do this for the gospel. And as he's sitting again in prison, now 11 to 12 years later, in prison again for the gospel, he's got the Philippian church on his mind and look at the only emotion we see, the only description we see. It doesn't say in anger. It doesn't say in sadness. It says in joy. In joy, I think back. What I thought about this week was, what do I do or what do I need to do to find joy in my most difficult times? If I'm struggling to find joy within my life, what do I need to do? Uh, and I'm not talking about just a, a momentary happiness. Do you, know, do you know how we find joy sometimes? We find joy in the instant gratification of going to an app and ordering something on Amazon and it shows up at our door and we find great joy in that moment and we're like, yes, I got something new, awesome. And then that fades away and is gone. That's not the joy that I'm talking about. The joy that I'm talking about is to be able, in the most difficult of circumstances, find that great joy in my position in Jesus Christ, that I am just overwhelmed to the fact that I know that I am saved. I know that I have eternity with Jesus, and it doesn't matter of any of the circumstances around me, I am going to find joy. And I believe that the Philippian church here, that Paul is writing this, and he's looking back to keep his eyes focused on joy. He's finding joy in what happened from that moment until now. Because he's not in this alone. Look what it tells us in verse five. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer to you in the view of your participation in the gospel from the first day of now. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in doing the work of the gospel. You are with me. You are supporting me. This is not an isolating thing. We're doing this together. These are what Paul is saying. I'm thinking back of all the wonderful things that are going on. This, this whole first 11 verses is just filled with encouragement. Now look how he builds up this church as he finds great joy in them. He says, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you imagine being on the other end of receiving that? Can you imagine the example that that brings to the believer? I'm in prison. I'm writing to you. I'm in prison for the participation of the gospel. When I look back and think of all that God has done in your life, and, and as we've served together, I find great joy in that. But I also am very confident in you, church, that what God started that day back in Acts chapter 16, God is going to bring it to a conclusion at the day of Christ. He who started that good work in you is going to see it through to the end. Is that an encouragement for you as you walk day in and day out in the world that we live in right now where, where everything is in absolute moral decline? And you know what? It's harder and harder to fight that battle to, to live for Jesus, but we've got to do it no matter what, and we've got to find joy in it. And then you, what if you had this knowledge as a part of your walking forward? That, you know, your pastor here, myself, your elders, we're all confident that what Jesus Christ started in your life, he is going to finish. You could cross-reference over to Revelation chapter 1-8. Write it in the margin because Revelation chapter 1-8 says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is and the one who is to come. Jesus started this whole thing and he is going to finish this whole thing. This day of Christ that is being referred to in chapter 6 is not to be messed with when Peter talks about the day of the Lord. Are they the same? Well, let's look at this. The day of Christ is referring to that you will be perfected until he brings salvation at his second coming. Because we as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a hope to look forward to that when Jesus comes, he will rescue us from this world. 
The day of the Lord, what Peter talks about, is a day of judgment. It can be the very same day and when all these things started, but there is a different outcome for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. You see, the day of the Lord is a focus on judgment for sin. But we're not looking forward to a day of judgment of sin. We're looking forward to a day at which Christ rescues us and we are present with him. Can you imagine Paul writing this, knowing that his end is imminent? I'm confident in you that what God began in you, it will be finished when Christ returns. Look at verse seven. He says, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you, all because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ. Do you see it? Do you see the love that Paul has for this church? I feel this way about you. I have you in my heart. I've been thinking about you since my imprisonment, since I was put on defense of the gospel. I was thinking about what God has done in you from the very beginning, that you are partakers of grace with me, that you are participating in the gospel, that this is not something we are doing alone. We are partners in ministry. And then he says, for God is my witness. How I long for you with all the affection of Christ. Church, I love you so much that I want to see you come to that point of where Christ perfects everything. I want to be with you. I love you, church. This, this love is absolutely so amazing. And where is, he, where is he dwelling up this love? Where is it coming from? Because he's looking back on what God has done. You see, when you and I, when we struggle to find joy, when we're in the midst of some of our most difficult situations, when we're struggling to find that joy and that love, and you know what? Sometimes when you're in the midst of some difficult suffering, it's hard to love others, isn't it? Especially when, when they've been the one that's beaten you with the rods. Whatever that case may be. When, when you can't find that joy, you need to look back. Go, go back in time and remember all of the good things that happened in your life that bring that joy. Maybe you need to go back all the way to the point of when you fell on your knees in repentance of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe you need to go back to the camp in which you gave Christ your life. But you've got to find that joy. And this is what Paul does in remembrance. I'm finding joy. I'm finding joy in all that happened before. But there's a twofold part of this. There's one to look back and see joy. There's one to get excited about what God has done in the past. But here's another way to find joy. Are you ready? Participate in the gospel work. So first, we can find joy when we look back. We can look back at what, what we were involved in in the past or what God has done in our lives. I'm telling you right now, you would find joy if you were praising and singing in a prison and an earthquake came and the chains fell off and you were suddenly freed because, because of the work of God. Have you ever written down something that God has done in your life and looked back and said, I remember that day. I still cannot drive down the 401 towards Niagara without thinking of a wonderful lady that was in the church that I pastored. You see, when Jessica and I first got into ministry, we were kind of doing this fundraising salary and we were kind of doing this, you know, half pay type of salary and our son was born and we found out that our son was having all kinds of like 
skin rashes and things like this all related to heat. But you know what? Jessica and I could never afford to get central air for the place that we lived in. And then this wonderful woman came up to me and she said, you know what? God spoke to my heart last night and God told me that I needed to give you this check and it was in an envelope and she gave it to me and I looked at it and I opened it and it was to the exact penny of what the quote was for the central air and I told nobody about it. Remember back to then when God did something so far outside of what I could ever ask or imagine. And I find joy in what God was doing that day. But I also can look back and think about how participation in the gospel also brings joy. So twice he mentions here in these these verses about partnership or partakers in ministry. And so as we look at this, we're going to kind of walk through all of the way that they've participated in the gospel over the next number of weeks. But here is one way to look back, is to see how God was at work as you served him. Do you want to find joy? Do you want to find joy in your life? Find joy in seeing how God is using you to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about Paul right here. Paul is, what did he do? He he wasn't even supposed to go to Philippi, but the Holy Spirit told him to take that route. And he went there and he was obedient to what God was calling him to do. He preached the gospel. He saw Lydia saved. He kind of got annoyed at the slave girl, but he saw God at work there. And then he went to the jailer and he, he stopped the jailer from killing himself. And he brought him to Jesus Christ, him and his whole family. If you were to think back on those memories and the things that his participation in the gospel, would that not bring joy to you? I remember back in the day when I, when I led someone to Jesus Christ, how God used me in that way that I could never ask or imagine. I'll never forget just sharing one story through a podcast through Precept, and the next day I got an email, and the email was, I never knew this about covenant and marriage. You just saved my marriage. I said, no, I didn't save your marriage. God did the work, but I participated in the gospel. We can find great joy in serving the Lord. Now look at this last part because this, these last three verses, they actually will bring the entire letter together. Everything from this point on can point back to these final three verses. Look at the rest of his prayer. And this I pray that your love may still abound still more in the real knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which came through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God." Paul's got this great love for this church and look at his prayer. I pray that your love, okay, so Paul is also experiencing on his end the great love of the church in their participation of the gospel. But he's praying that their love would abound still more in real knowledge and discernment. This this right here, verses 9 to 11, are going to bring Paul the greatest joy in his ministry. And here's why. Because true love can only grow in real knowledge. Okay, this word knowledge in the Greek is epinosis. And that knowledge, as defined, is this. It's a fuller knowledge that forms and shapes the way you live. All right? So it is a knowledge that forms and shapes the way you live. So look what he says, that your love will abound. How? Because you have this fuller knowledge, this fuller knowledge of Jesus Christ 
and everything that comes in that, that you will be able to discern through this knowledge and approve the things that are excellent. All right, watch, this. watch what Paul's gonna find the great joy in. One, that as you learn more and more and more about God and his word through his word, that you will be better to know and discern what is good and what is not good, and then so that, which is the term of conclusion, that you may approve the things that are excellent. So as you love Jesus more, as you grow in the knowledge that forms and shapes your lives, you will be able to discern what is right and wrong and be able to approve the things that are excellent. So, so the word excellent in the, in the Greek there means to differ. It's different from what you see in the world. What Paul is saying here, this could be a message on its own. My prayer for you, church, are you ready? This is the prayer that any pastor would have for their church. It is one that you would fall deeply in love with God's word, that your life would be transformed by the word of God, that, that it wouldn't just be words on a screen that you sing, I believe in God the Father. No, no, that it would transform your life. And that as it transforms your life, you begin to change and you begin to transform. You can discern what is good and bad, and then you can approve only the things for your life that are excellent. Only the things that are good would rise to the top. The, the idea of what Paul is saying, approve the things that are excellent, is like sending metals through the fire. And the things that are impure rise to the top and can be scooped off. But the things that are, are good and wholesome are what are most precious. Do you see what, Paul, what will bring Paul great joy? It will be, bring great joy that you believers that you would continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you would be able to discern the things that are good and bad, that you would approve only the things that are excellent, and that you would be able to stand before Jesus Christ sincere and blameless. When? At the day of salvation. So as a participant in the gospel as one who, who shares the gospel, one who stands here. This is the burden of your pastor's heart. This is the burden of anyone who, who hails forth the word of God, is that you wouldn't just take this as a message that you have every Sunday, but that you would actually apply these truths and that you would live out these truths and people would see in you a love for Jesus like they don't see in anyone else and that you are living your life and propelling yourself forward to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, that you would stand there knowing that you will spend eternity with him. That's what brings great joy to Paul. That's what can bring great joy to you in participation of the gospel. This right here is called discipleship. It's walking alongside those who come to faith and preparing them and getting them ready to stand before the Lord. Sometimes in that, that becomes hard conversations, which we'll, we'll look at in, in a next number of weeks. But here we have that Paul's desire in his prayer is that this church would be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And he's already seeing the fruit of that happen in their lives. Now look at how he finishes so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Where does all the joy go? Where does all the praise go? Doesn't go to Paul. Doesn't go to the messenger of the gospel. All the joy goes to God. 
Why? Because he who began a good work will complete it. So we, we leave with two things to think about today. First is that when we have a difficult time finding joy, we need to look back to where we can remember the joy. The second thing we need to do is we need to remember that joy springs forth from participation in the gospel. So you want true joy, you want to to have that position of joy, get involved. Become a soldier of Jesus Christ who's in the trenches. Don't be on the sidelines. Over the last number of weeks, and I'm gonna wrap up with this because I'm really gonna challenge you folks right here now. Over the last number of weeks, I have been meeting with your pastor and, and with Shar. Uh, we've, been, we've been talking through some things in the church. Uh, I've also been in, in connection with some elders and, and we've been chatting. And the one thing that continues to come forward is that there is a position in where more people need to get involved in engaging in the gospel within this church. Uh, generally, churches have this 80-20 rule where 20% of the people do uh, 80% of the work. But folks, you see, where we find true joy in Jesus Christ is when we participate in the gospel. So that is my challenge for you this week, is how are you participating in the gospel? Are, are you sitting back and thinking, well, it's not the right time now. I don't know how to get involved. I don't know what to do. Uh, I've got way too much going on. You know, I do talk about Jesus sometimes at work, and I do, when, when the opportunity comes or somebody asks me a question, you see the difference with Paul and the difference with that kind of mindset is when Paul went to a new city, he went to a specific place, and he stood there, and he began to reason the text. He had a mission about him. Uh, we should have that mission as well, that we should be participating in the gospel. We should be creating these opportunities for us to look back on the lives that have been transformed by the truth of God and find great joy in that. So if you're not involved, are you ready? Get involved. Find ways to push the gospel message forward Uh, not only within living hope, but within the community, within your workplace, with those that are around you. And I promise you, you will find joy. You will find great joy in giving glory and praise to God for the work that he is doing. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you again for Uh, the words of truth that come from your scriptures. Lord, I pray that as we uh, take some moments to to sing and praise and give worship to you as we close this service, that uh, right in this moment, uh, your Holy Spirit would be at work. That, Lord, if, if we're in this room or we're watching online and it's been very difficult to find joy, to be able to to respond in ways that uh, joy in our position in Jesus Christ, that you would help us to remember when we had that joy. But Father, also that, that you would challenge us in our hearts that we would have a greater participation in moving the kingdom of God forward. That when opportunities arise for us to talk about uh, the wonderful things that Jesus has done in our own lives, that we would take those opportunities. That we would not be reactive to opportunities, but we would be proactive in our participation of the gospel. Because, Father, there is great joy when we can see you at work. And I pray, Lord, over each and every person in this room, I thank you for all those who who participate in this church and and build this church and keep this church moving forward. And I thank you for those that here right now participating in, in what's going on. But Lord, you have great plans for this church. You have great plans for this community. And you call willing servants to move forward with the gospel. 
So speak to us now about that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast by Preset Ministries Canada. Be sure to visit our website, presetministries.ca, to find a Bible study class or workshop that will give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.